If you would, turn with me in your Bibles this morning once again to the book of John. John chapter 15, you can follow along with the insert found in your bulletin if you'd prefer. This morning we continue in our meditation on some of the final words that Jesus gave to his disciples before he went to the cross for them and for all those who are in him. In many ways, this whole discourse or sermon or speech or dialogue, whatever you want to call this thing that Jesus has been doing for the last few chapters, in many ways, but particularly this morning, these have been words of preparation for his followers. Not just words of preparation for those 12 men, but words of preparation for the church, for all time, in in all places. We've all been on journeys where it's been so helpful to know exactly what lies ahead. In fact, I've gotten myself into trouble by talking about hikes and how easy they were, and people had the impression that they were easy, and they didn't know what was lying ahead, and then they found out later that something greater was lying ahead. Just a little while from when these words were originally spoken, in just a matter of hours, in just a matter of days, things are significantly going to change for these 12 disciples. And Jesus knows this. And so he undergirds them with these certain promises, what I might call high points of promise. And we've, we've looked at these high points of promise. Jesus loves you this much, right? Jesus has come to bring peace through the promise of a place, through the presence of his spirit. And all you need to do is abide in his love. Abide in the vine. Those things are true. What a life. What joy to have hope, certain hope. We're forgiven. We are at peace. We have sung it. We have enjoyed it already. This is the beauty of following Jesus. It's the beauty of being in Christ. And yet Jesus wants to give the full picture because there's more. There's a cost. There's a cost to identifying with Jesus, and that's where Jesus wants to go next, from the privilege and promise of peace to the privilege and promise of persecution. As usual, we could spend a whole lot more time in these verses than we're going to spend this morning. We're again at high altitude. But nonetheless, I pray that these promises will again speak to your heart and speak to your experience. We're going to focus on just a few things in these verses, John 15, and then we're going to jump into John 16 together. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 15, we're going to begin reading at verse 18 and then continue through 16, 11, and then jump to the end of chapter 16. Listen as I read. 
Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause." But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Seated. Andrew Brunson, a pastor and a native of North Carolina, has served more than half of his life seeking to testify to the good news of Jesus in Turkey. A year and a half ago, on one of these trips, Pastor Brunson was arrested He was denied access to an attorney, and he was deemed to be a threat to national security. 
The charges against him linked him or tried to link him to a coup attempt that happened back in July of 2016, but the charges are false. It's clear what's happening to Pastor Brunson. The Islamic party that rules the nation of Turkey is done with his kind. They're cracking down on Christians in their midst. And so earlier this month, after being detained for more than 500 days, Turkish officials officially indicted him and are calling for him to serve life in prison. This is a live situation. It remains unresolved. A few months ago, we talked briefly about statistics. I think it was in November when we talked about the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. Every month on this planet, 255 Christians are killed for their faith. 104 are abducted every month. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage every month. 66 Christian churches are attacked, and 160 Christians, just like Pastor Brunson, are detained and are imprisoned without trial. That is happening this month, and it feels so foreign to us. And yet Jesus warns that at times, in places, to his followers, this is the cost of discipleship. Three truths that I want us to consider this morning and meditate on for the next few minutes. We're going to spend the most of our time on the first one, and it's simply this, be prepared The journey ahead is hard. Be prepared. The journey ahead is hard. Or to put it more starkly, get ready, Christian. Persecution may be coming. Jesus speaks these words this morning first to 12 men who have walked by his side for years. His message and his person have captivated these men. They've given up their entire normalcy for a life of following him. He's worth it. And as a result, they've seen the crowds. They've seen the crowds clamoring for a view of him, trying at whatever cost, breaking down doors, taking apart ceilings, whatever needs to happen for a touch of his hand, for words of comfort. And sure, they've heard, they've heard the back alley murmurs. They've heard the accusations of the Pharisees, of the teachers of the law, of the religious crowd. But their experience with Jesus has been in large measure promising and positive. Even the palm branches that were waved at him just a few days ago. And now Jesus is using words like hate and and persecution and, and kill. You see, these are more pointed and, and specific words than the words 
that were spoken to Daniel. Those of you who are here weeks and weeks ago, remember that we, we looked at what the Lord wanted to tell Daniel as he told the people of Israel that their journey, that, that generations upon generations were still to come before the Lord would make right and redeem all things eventually through His Son. These are more pointed words. These are more specific words. These specific men carrying the life and the message of Jesus within them, they are destined in their lives not just to face opposition, but to face persecution. And history will prove that fact for Peter, for James, for John, for all the rest of them. Just as the other promises that Jesus, those high points of promise that Jesus communicated to John, just as those promises were not just for those men, but were for us, so these words are not just for those men, but they too are for us. Be prepared. The road ahead is hard. Get ready. Persecution may be coming. You see, we in, this, we in this country, we in this generation, in the generations prior, we have been so privileged. And I was frankly amazed a couple weeks ago at the coverage of the death of Billy Graham and the fact that Billy Graham sat in honor in the Capitol attended to by former presidents and by current politicians. But times are changing. I don't think we'll ever see that kind of thing again in this country. I'm not sure what exactly was going on in 17th century Scotland, but Samuel Rutherford, a Scottish Presbyterian theologian who was also what we would call a Westminster divine, one of the guys who was sent to help author the Westminster Confession of Faith, he wrote this in the 17th century. He said, God has called you to Christ's side, and the wind is now in Christ's face in this land. And since you are with him, you cannot expect the sheltered or the sunny side of the hill. Now, that's a very 17th century Scottish way to say you're swimming against the stream. Don't expect to be in the sun. And that seems to be increasingly the case for us. And we ought not be surprised, Jesus says, because the fact of the matter is, the message of Jesus, the true message of Jesus, offends. It just does. And I say the true message of Jesus because there is so often a false message that is attached to his name. This Jesus, they say, offends no one. This Jesus, they say, came to bring blessing and comfort and ease as a result of following him. This Jesus would never, would never speak a judgment against any kind of behavior, particularly if it's loving behavior. 
But the true Jesus is hard to swallow. I suspect if you ask your, your neighbors, your coworkers, your relatives who aren't believers what they think of Jesus, they, they're not going to say probably that they hate him. But if you have the opportunity, I suspect, to, to cut through the cultural perceptions that they have of Jesus, to get to their misconceptions about Jesus, to get to the, the root of what Jesus was really about, that you might get a different response. Oh, if you're going to identify yourself with that Jesus, yeah, I don't like that Jesus. So why? Well, Jesus gives to his disciples and to us some of the reasons why those who identify with Christ are going to be hated. Let's just unpack briefly three things. Number one, Jesus is God. Verses 23 and 24, whoever hates me, Jesus says, hates my Father also because they have hated both me and my Father. Jesus came to reveal God to us, but in our heart of hearts, we just don't want God. Speaking about the world, not speaking about those who know and love Him this morning. No, we want to be God in our heart of hearts. We want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives, without interference from any God. See, related to this is Jesus' claim of truth. He just spoke it to them earlier. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In our heart of hearts, we don't want truth. Not objective truth. We don't want to hear that truth exists outside of ourselves or that it exists outside of common consent, outside of what our culture has decided. We don't want to acknowledge that there's truth embedded into the very creation and natural law of the universe. But Jesus taught that there's no middle ground. Matthew 12, verse 30, he said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus is God, Jesus is the truth, and the third reason the world hates Jesus, and therefore hates you, is that Jesus exposes us. John 7, verse 7 Jesus said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And he says the same here in John chapter 16. The world wouldn't know about their sin if it weren't for me, but I have come and I have exposed them. There's a story, I think a helpful one, that one commentator that I was reading this week told. It's the story of a missionary base some years ago in some faraway land. And one day at this mission base, one of the, or a group of uh, this primitive tribe that was being ministered to, they came out of the bush or out of the jungle, and uh, they came to the mission base. And the mission base was a, 
a more modern headquarters than this primitive tribe had ever experienced. And one of the women who was a leader in this tribe, godless woman, they were seeking to share Christ with her. She came and crusty-faced and, and, and war paint and tribal paint and ritual paint all over her face. And she came into the mission base and she happened to turn and see a mirror. And she looked at herself for the first time and she said, who is that? The missionary said, that's you. That's you. That's a, that's a reflection of your face. And the woman was was troubled at what she had seen, and she was confused, and so she insisted that she be allowed to have that mirror, and the, the missionary didn't want to give up the mirror, but uh, reluctantly allowed the woman to take the mirror, and she took the mirror and went outside and smashed the mirror on the ground, and she exclaimed in her native tongue, I will never have it making faces at me again. See, it was an illustration of the fact that she had been exposed and she didn't like what she saw. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's exactly what Jesus did for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of his day. And that's why they worked their darndest to put him on a cross, and they did. The words and the person of Jesus reveal us. Light exposes what's in the dark. Yet so many would rather live their lives ignorant of the cancer that lies within them. And so Jesus tells his disciples, all who are going to follow him, that if you identify yourselves with me, If you are obedient to my call to testify about who I am, truly who I am and what I have done, no matter how nice you might be, no matter how winsome you might be, you might very well be persecuted. Of course, the weight of the New Testament simply builds on this. 1 John 3, 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 2 Timothy 3, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter chapter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trouble when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. Philippians 1, 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Be prepared. The road ahead is hard. Brothers and sisters, as we are called to testify to the life of Christ and to the good news of what Christ has done for us, we must be prepared for what lies ahead. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to seek out persecution. That doesn't mean we need to make it happen. Being obnoxious is not godliness. But persecution may become, may be coming. Well, granted, we can be grateful in this country that for this generation, for the previous couple generations, much of our safety, much of our rights have been protected. This hasn't been the case. This is not the case today in places where communism has a strong grip, where the nation of Islam has a strong grip. 
But you know as well as I do that we are slowly, increasingly becoming at odds with the culture around us. We are increasingly, Christian, becoming a threat to the world around us. And as the father of five, this grieves me, this scares me, but it also makes me double down that I need to prepare my kids. To not just swim with the tide of what they see, but indeed the winds of the world may be blowing in Christ's face. And of course, this is particularly becoming true more and more, even in the last 20 years, around issues of gender and sexuality. We need to pray. We need to be proactive that the next generation of worshipers continues to hold the line on what Jesus teaches about who we are, about what we are called to be. And it's difficult because so many in the evangelical church, fearing irrelevancy or worse, fearing persecution or that their numbers might diminish, they're bending and they're flexing on these issues saying that the church has got it wrong for the last 2,000 years. Jesus reminds us that he never promised that the road would be easy. To the contrary, he promised that it would be difficult. That they might even hate you. I recognize that the strategy of testifying to who Christ is, to what he came to do, to what he taught, it's, it's complicated. It's not always easy to do. When you bring in the legal aspects, when you bring in other dynamics, how we do this takes wisdom. How we do this takes guidance. But here's the thing. We have it. Because that's the second thing that Jesus wants to tell his disciples. Yeah, the road ahead is going to be hard. Be prepared. You will be persecuted. But secondly, remember, you're not alone. You're not alone. These men are timid men. These these aren't religious scholars. These aren't experienced public speakers. These are not philosophical intellectuals. These are fishermen. And he gives them this near impossible task. Testify of me in the face of opposition, in the face of hatred. Testify to who I am. But in doing this, as we've seen before, and I don't want to belabor the point, he reminds them that they're not alone. Verses 8 through 11, let me read it again. And when he comes, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world 
concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Two specific things Jesus reminds his followers of in these verses. Number one, this is ultimately the Holy Spirit's work. Right? He will convict. Only he can convict. To hearts offended by Jesus, it is only the supernatural testimony of the Holy Spirit that can do the work, that can truly expose the heart. Clever argumentation is not going to do it alone. A life of love and care is not going to do it alone. These things are necessary. These things are good. But in order for change to come about, in order for people to see their need for Jesus, especially these days, the Spirit of God has got to come in power. Are we praying for that? I know your elders are praying for it. Revival in this land. Marches are good but we need a moving of the Spirit. The Spirit moves through His Word. He moves through the mysterious inward testimony. He pokes holes, not just in arguments, but in human hearts. And Jesus says, you're not alone. The Spirit of power is with you. The Spirit of power that raised Jesus from the dead is with you. In fact, Jesus says, this is how you guys came to be, right? He says in verse 19, I chose you out of the world. I turned your eyes to me, and now I'm sending my Spirit. God does in us what we could never do, and here Jesus reminds that the Spirit will do the same in others. It's ultimately the Spirit's work. There's a second thing, though, under this point, and it's this. We're simply called to testify to Jesus. Did you notice when I read those verses, verses 8 to 11, sin, righteousness, judgment, Jesus brings those three things up, but he ties every one of them to himself. Do you see that? Concerning sin, the call is not to simply to tell people, stop it, stop sinning. Concerning righteousness, the call is not to tell people, be better, be good. Stop doing that, start doing this. We're good. And concerning judgment, the call is not simply to tell people that judgment is coming. The call is to testify to Jesus. The call is to abide in His love, to abide in His fruitfulness, to abide in His atonement for sin, and to call people to do the same. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Jesus. Some 50 days from now, This is precisely what will happen in Acts chapter 2. 
right? An uneducated man will stand before the public and Peter will declare, this Jesus, this Jesus, you killed, God raised up. This Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ. Repent and believe and be baptized in his name. He set before them Jesus and the power of the Spirit. What did the Spirit accomplish? 3,000 souls were added that day. And this would happen again and again and again in the early church until all of these men had been silenced by their own deaths. Until then, they knew they weren't alone. They knew their message was one thing, Jesus you need Jesus. Why do we expect unbelievers to act like believers? Why do we call them out on their sin when if we didn't have Jesus, we'd be doing the same thing? Jesus is what they need. Tell them about Jesus. Let Jesus and his spirit convict them of their sin. Well, as I close, I want to hit just one more thing from these verses, specifically verses 32 and 33. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, Jesus says, when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave them alone, leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the last point. Take heart. Jesus has overcome. Brothers and sisters, what strikes you about those verses I just read? I'll tell you what strikes me. One word, grace. Grace. Jesus has just told his disciples that the road ahead is hard. They will have the spirit of power. They will have the spirit of truth so that they can testify boldly. But now he tells them, oh yeah, you're going to stumble right out of the gate." You're going to fall flat on your face. You say you love me now, but you're about to turn your back on me and abandon me. This is going to be a roller coaster week for these men. Jesus adored by the crowds only to be hung on a Roman cross of execution, and as their jubilation turns to absolute terror and fear, they will fail. Their weak, stammering faith will scatter them, abandoning Jesus. And yet, He will not abandon them. On the third day, He will rise from the dead He will prove that all the words he has spoken to them are true, that he is worthy. And then these these men will come alive with the life of Christ like they have never come alive before. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, I know that putting before you Jesus' words of persecution and the hatred of the world and prodding you and pushing you to, by the power of the Spirit, swim against the tide. Don't worry about the wind in the face, but testify boldly of Jesus. I know you're going to fail, 
because I know I failed. I know I've shrunk back. Hear this word of grace from the Lord Jesus that he speaks to men who will in his greatest hour of need ditch him. And yet he says, I will not abandon you. You are mine. Press on. Remember these things. Remember these things. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning once again for the truth of your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection and ascension. And we thank you for his words of comfort and promise, his words even this morning, hard words for us to hear about what might be ahead for us. May we not shrink back by the power of your Spirit, but when we do, may we rest in your love. May we rest in the fact that you hold us tightly. May we be filled with your grace that we might stand in our hour of need. Oh, Father, strengthen us. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen.